Which Way is Catering with Justine and Bruce, served up by Variety Attraction, celebrating 60 years of entertainment excellence. The way it rolls off your tongue, it's just it's lovely. So, oh, thank you. It's so lovely. So, Bruce, have you ever been in a parade? Any sort of parade. Have you been in a parade before? Uh, yes, I have. And it was? Cold. No, which parade was it? <laughs> Christmas parade. Oh. Yeah, Christmas parade. Downtown Milwaukee. Waving. What, were you like Santa? Um, yes, and uh, worked for a radio station. So, you know, they put all the radio geeks in a car and put them in the parade. And I had clothes on, if that's where you're going. <laughs> that's where I'm going. <laughs> it would have been quite nippy that day. It would have been chilly. Yeah. Well, and you were in the Harley Parade, right? Didn't you ride your bike in the Harley Parade? Yes. Again with clothes on? Again with clothes on, because A, it's warm out. B, the bike is warm. C, is almost like riding naked on a barbecue grill. <laughs> <laughs> Today's show, Rod Essig from Creative Artists Agency, better known as CAA in one of our favorite towns, Nashville, Tennessee. Mm, I miss Nashville. Our conversation with Rod today was very conversational. It was like we're on, we're in couches in Nashville, sitting in the Omni, mm -hmm. um, because we were talking about some great things. His experience with Sonny and Cher. Jim Croce, Prince. And what I love about Rod, too, is he's very down-to-earth and personable, and you can talk to him about anything. I have my backstage pass in a convenient spot to be signed. Nice. On your elbow? <laughs> nope. <laughs> <laughs> Red we are on wisconsin oh my gosh we're like blinding blinded by, by the light, light. racked up like a deuce mm -hmm. all right welcome to another episode of which way is catering with justine and bruce and today from the great city of nashville we have rod essig from caa which is creative artist agency and uh, Rod, welcome to the show. I'm loving it. When you when you guys called, I said yes right away. Justine, you're way too young, but Bruce, you and I go back a lot. Of years, okay. Well, that's a good way of starting it. Yeah. Out. Um, they always say I have a face for radio, so this works out perfect for me. <laughs> because it's audio only, right? We can see each other, but so we're gonna we're gonna jump right into it, Rod. And um, we know you're a great Midwestern boy, just like I am. And I know you grew up in Minneapolis, and I'm sure you got some great stories uh, from the great Midwest. But why don't we start with that? I mean, what was it like, Minneapolis? Well, first of all, I'm not Minneapolis is a big city. I grew up in a, in a little farming area. My mom and dad were farmers and grew up in Sanborn, Minnesota. I had 11 kids in my graduating class. Oh, wow. So the bottom line is we had 
uh, 11-man football. So there's 19 kids that went out for football from eight, from grades nine through 12. So you had to be dead not to play on the football. <laughs> so, and I want a few guys that I, I go back and people laugh about it, but I remember playing offense, defense, and marching it with the band at halftime and going back and playing the second half of football. And you were the head cheerleader. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so that, and then I just moved. I went to, I went to um, Westmark college. I had a, uh, a vocal major. Uh, I was a singer and went there and I have a music education degree. When I graduated out of there, I used to buy talent from Gordy Singer at Variety uh, Artist in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And that, at that point, I got drafted. Most people don't remember the draft, but I graduated in 71, and my number was 30 in the draft. So on Christmas Eve, I had to report to Fort Leonard Wood for basic. So from May to um, December, I sang as a backup singer to Sonny and Cher. Wow. Now, now I'm, Justin, you have to close your ears, but Bruce, you'll understand it. I'm 21 <laughs> years old. I'm making a lot of money. I'm singing backup to Sonny and Cher, and all they're playing is Playboy Clubs, and I'm going off to war. I had a great summer. I'll tell you that <laughs> much. You may have to cut it out, but, you know, I drank a lot, got laid every night, and went on, and then I went to basic training, and I went to Vietnam, and I was in the service for 14 months because 72 and 73, we were coming out of Vietnam. So then I came back and I called Gordy and I said, I want to, I want to be an agent. He said, Oh, great. So he said, here, gave me a yellow pad. And he said, start making calls. Well, that was on a dial phone, you know, and anyway, six months later, I signed a guy named Jim Croce and then he died, but I just kept signing. And at that point, Variety was the largest college bookers. And way back in those days, all the big arenas were on college campuses. The cities did not have arenas. So like MTSU or University of Minnesota had the big thing. And then all the student activities only did concerts. There was no speakers, no videos, no um, intramurals or anything like that. So you were, you were allowed to tour. So I happened to be on the road then at that, in those days with Cornelius Brothers, Sister Rose, The Fifth Dimension, uh, Johnny Cash. We'd, we'd buy and sell all these acts. Well, it just kept growing and growing and growing, and I kept signing acts. And so within about five, six years, the majority of the roster was my clients, of which one at our office was in Minneapolis was a guy named Prince. So I was the first agent that Prince ever had. So I remember sitting in a room with him alone. I remember painting First Avenue purple for Purple Rain. Wow. All that Very stuff cool. in those days. And then um, 20 years later, or 18 years later, we moved the whole office of variety to LA because we couldn't compete. And after a period of time, I just realized that variety was only a touring entity and our clients wanted motion picture, television books, whether they can do it or not, doesn't matter. They wanted available. So at that point, my dear, dear friend was a guy named Bobby Brooks and Bobby said, you need to come to, C to CAA. So I met with Tom Ross, Bobby Brooks and Rob Light. Uh, I went to CAA and three days later, Bobby got killed in the helicopter crash with mm. Stevie Ray Vaughan. Oh, so I worked a year there. And then Tom Ross said, you know, we're going to open up an office in Nashville. You want to go down there? Ron Baird's down there. John Huey's moving there and you and let's open an office. So we opened up Nashville with five with five acts and three agents. 
and on West End. And now we have 148 people in Nashville and have sports and rock and everything else out of Nashville. It just has grown and grown and grown. And so that's kind of the history. And I've been there, I'm going on my 29th year at CAA. So uh, it's grown to a, a, an entity that's big in Nashville and it's kind of been fun. It's been a great career. Uh, I'm not done, you know, and people say, John, John Huey said, when are you going to retire? And I said, John, I'm never going to retire. I may tire, but I'm never going to retire. Retire. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> let's go back to, because uh, Justine and I are huge Prince and we had a chance, we were in Minneapolis one time together yeah. and, you know, we had to get our picture at First Avenue and the mm -hmm. whole thing. But what are some of your experiences with Prince? Well, first of all, the day-to-day -day kind of guy that was really a friend was a guy named Terry Rindle. I don't know if you know Terry, but he, he's still an agent. But in the meantime, so Prince used to come in the office and be, be there day in and day out and just would be there. And all of a sudden I said, Terry, we got, got to get this guy out of the office. He can't just be here all day long. Well, he was learning the business. And at that time, he had a, a backup group, which uh, was, was Vanity Six, which they, in those days, came out with just bras and panties as his backups here. Well, that was like horrible, horrible, horrible. horrible. I mean, that was everything. Not for us. And, you know, not, <laughs> no, totally. But then all of a sudden it came down to the same point after about six or seven years, he just said, you know, I got to move. I'm moving everything to L.A., da, 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 da. And he moved to L.A. And then we were let go at that point because we didn't have a prop, an office in L.A. Mm. But the build, Minneapolis had a really, you know, in those days, every city had a scene. Mm -hmm. So look, Minneapolis had Prince, Lamont Cranston, uh, Michael Johnson, Leo Kotke out of there. Same as Athens had all the, the kind of rockers out of there. And, you know, and Seattle had their set of people. So it was mm -hmm. just kind of like, you know, and Macon, Georgia had the Allman brothers and everything out of there. So everybody had, you kind of, you grew out of your market. You just expanded. You always came back to your main core market. So that's kind of where, where Prince was at. But I remember those shows were pretty amazing. And I remember walking into Prince's house and having a meeting in a room, not one single thing in a room. And we sat on the floor and stared at each other. It was just kind of crazy, and, you know, and he would, at that point, you could still call him Prince. Mm -hmm. It wasn't right. like whatever. So you could call him Prince, but we just sat there for an hour, talked about his, what he wanted, and then we went and did it. And the whole thing was about the Purple Rain. And we, it took a while to get an approval to go paint First Avenue totally purple. But then Prince happened so big in Minneapolis that he started happening everywhere. But Minneapolis, we'd do four and five nights sold out at first avenue mm -hmm. so did did you and prince go to the home depot with kind of color swatches <laughs> together to find out the no. right color of purple to paint no the one thing with prince is he knew everything he wanted to do so mm -hmm. he told you what to do and that's what you did that's what you did you know i go back in my in my career and there's a lot of people that have always done that that I've represented Prince, Leanne Rimes, Tim McGraw, Taylor Swift, they all knew exactly who they were. They never walked in and said, I can do all this, I want to do this. They all knew who they were and they told you wh what they wanted and then you were to go 
and make all that dream so-called happen. And that's so cool when somebody walks in and knows who they are as an agent. Mm-hmm. Do you find that when people do that, they, they're more successful down the road if they know yes. exactly their vision? Yeah. I hate when somebody walks in and it's a brand new artist and he goes, she can sing everything or he can sing everything. You know, they can do Broadway, they can do jazz. They can do, I said, no, 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 no. You need to you, go leave now, take a year and figure out who you are and stay true to who you are. Music all goes in circles, you know, it just goes in circles. So there's a time it was disco. Now it, now it's electric music. It's all, it still is disc, you know, but it goes at different timings. And I always love when people hit 60, 65, and then the whole young people find them and rediscover Bob Dylan, rediscover sticks, rediscover. They go, Oh my God, this band's so good. And you're going like, well, they're, they've been playing for 30 years. They've been good you for know? 30 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and they, but they rediscover them, but they all stayed true to who they are. Mm-hmm. So one of the names you brought up earlier on when you were doing the college scene was Jim Croce. What was he like? Jim Croce was just starting, just a real Joe Blow guy. I mean, unbelievable. Just the nicest, nicest man in the world and was just starting, you know, and again, there was no Spotify. There was no internet. There was none of that. So you had to go build build, you know, go start playing clubs and then build up to a bigger club and then go play a little perform. And then, then, and then everything was based on hit hits radio. Mm -hmm. That's it. You had to have hit radio to expand and grow Mm -hmm. where now you can happen on TikTok and you can happen on Spotify and all that kind of stuff that didn't exist in those days. So it was really a lot of word of mouth and playing the really good rooms. I mean, I, I go back to a little town surf ballroom in Iowa was always if you can play the surf ballroom that you kind of have started to make it because mm-hmm. they only brought in the people happening on radio, you know? Mm-hmm. So out of, I mean, out of all the shows you've seen, what's been, what's been your favorite or most monumental of cause thousands upon thousands of shows. Right. But what is the moment where you're standing in the room and you're like, Oh shit, this is it. This is my favorite. Oh, those are, those are, those are collaborations. Those are things that you do as an agent. I will tell you the one that I remember so incredibly. Uh, I did all the booking for the uh, Andre Agassi Foundation in uh, Las Vegas. So he'd bring in David Foster's an orchestra, but then he'd bring like Barbara Streisand and Celine Dion and Tim McGraw and Elton John. And they'd all be in the same show. They just sang two songs and he'd raise millions of dollars, but he was on his prime. I remember uh, I had Tim McGraw and Elton John uh there and anyway elton said i want you know tim was hotter than hell tim and elton's always elton but in the meantime said i want to do a duet with him so they did tiny dancer and tim was so nervous and yet tim mcgraw and great artists always rise to the occasion it's like the same analogy if you play with a better golfer you always play better well the same thing and i remember that night on stage, Tiny Dancer, Tim and Elton, and Tim, I've never heard him sing better in my life. Well, he finally, he, he released it as a single after mm-hmm. that. But still, those are kind of the evenings that you sit there and go, this will never happen again, because it won't. And uh, so that was one of the things that an evening, there was another evening that I remember, we do, I do a thing, me and Ken Levitan, who is a very well-known manager down here. 
we do a thing for the Country Music Hall of Fame for, called All for the Hall. And it was set up originally, to, one year we do LA, one year we do uh, New York. It was just to introduce people in those communities to what the Country Music Hall of Fame is. So the one year we had booked uh, Chris Christopherson, uh, Lionel Richie, Vince Gill, who I hosted, and Emmy Lou Harris and Taylor Swift. That's our five. Now this is, we sell 300 tickets. It's $1,000 a ticket. There's no press, zero. It's just, and the artists walk around and they're very, but they do a singer songwriter. I remember going down the line, Vince doing his big song and, and then next Emmy Lou doing another one, Taylor doing his. And I remember Lionel Richie does one of his incredible, every song he does is just like an anthem, you know? And they go around, it gets to Christmas Offerson. And Chris starts talking, he's like, well, I wrote this song and my manager would never talk to me. So he said, I'd call the office, he never talked to me. So I talked to his assistant all the time, his assistant all the time. So he said, you know, this little girl put it out, was pretty successful, which turned out to be Janis Joplin. Nope. And anyway, so in the meantime, he goes, the song is Me and Bobby McGee. He wrote that talking to his manager's assistant. I still get goosebumps hearing that. <laughs> I love that. Wow, I'm that's telling awesome. You, it's an incredible story. There wasn't, every on stage is going, oh my God, because it's such an incredible, huge song. You know, and then he sings me and Bobby McGee. Those are the kind of evenings that you never, those five people will never be back together again in history. And I've done so many of those. And when everybody's just like that, they are so loose and fun. Like I said, there's no press. I mean, one year Vince came out in a jogging suit. I mean, it was like, you know, you can wear whatever you want. We don't care. And we just try to pop and everything. So those are the kind of things that, to me, are incredible, incredible shows. As a fan, to go listen to Elton and Billy together on stage. Mm -hmm. Or to go listen to uh, Queen. I'm a huge Queen fanatic. And Adam Lambert is just beyond a great singer. So I'm not a, I'm not, I'm a fan. I'm no longer an agent, even though we book them. Mm -hmm. You know, and Adam's a friend of mine. You turn I'm into fangirl. Yeah, I'm I love fan, it. You know, <laughs> yeah. you just sit there and every song is this incredible anthem, you know, and it's a three hour show like the old days, Bruce, where the where the guitar player had a 20 minute solo and the drummer had a 10 minute solo. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> then know, the but, and then the flute player had a 20 yeah. minute solo. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just like it's that kind of stupid things. But those to me are the most memorable evenings in my life. I mean, there are times, again, the first time I heard Leanne sing. There, I still think she's one of the greatest vocalists there is, there, it's ever been. Her voice is incredible. Or to sit in a room and talk to McGraw when he's doing Live Like You Were Dying or he's got Humble and Kind or, he, or he's got all those incredible, incredible career songs. Mm -hmm. You know, those are those are when you kind of pinch yourself and go like, I can't believe I'm sitting here and I'm responsible for these people. But yet still mm -hmm. they're they're so smart. And same with Taylor. Taylor has never varied. She knows exactly who she is, what she's going for. And that's the kind of stuff that I really look for. And I think and there's a lot of incredible artists. I'm just saying those ones that I get to work mm -hmm. with. 
day in and day out, you know, and then I go back to my dear, dear friends of Joan Jett or Styx or Ario Speedwagon, which just come out, play 90 minutes of hits and goes home, you know, mm-hmm. and they're and, just, and, and they love every single day that they're playing. Mm-hmm. And, and the audience does too. I mean, yeah. they, they've heard the yeah. songs 9 million times, but when Ario Styx, all of yeah. those acts come out and belt it out. People love it. They go home. They're happy. And those acts, you don't worry about radio or anything. They call and say, thank you. Thank you so much for putting me on this. Thank you for working this. Thank you. Thank you, Variety, for buying me year after year after year, you know, mm-hmm. and put me in the different packaging. And that it's that that's so fun because they're at the age that they're just, and I think JY made a statement. I said, because he, he cut from 125 dates down to like 75 dates. And I said, Jay White, you know, you guys are still not that. He said, Rod, I have plenty of money. I don't want to lose my lifestyle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I don't want to take out of my savings. But so if I work this many days, I know I could have maintain a lifestyle and still have some time at home. And, he, and he's like 70 years old, you know? Yeah, I want to I want to go back. And I have two questions for you because I don't want to forget them is because you're a huge queen fan, did you ever have the opportunity to meet Freddie Mercury? And I never did. Oh, okay. Horrible, horrible. Mm. I did. I I said a couple of times I've gone and uh, I was never an Elvis fan, but Colonel Parker was a friend of mine. Oh, like as crazy as it sounds, I know I met him and we became friends. I never was a big Elvis fan. I was a huge Beatles fan. I got to see the Beatles. Oh, that's outstanding. The only one I did go, I went with Bill Graham because I was selling stuff to Bill Graham. I went with Bill Graham and saw the Grateful Dead. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, it was the longest evening of my entire <laughs> life. The show went on for like five hours. I was going, <laughs> I mean, I am not that, I'm not a jam band guy at all. So it's like, I'm not, you know, I just went, but I was with Bill Graham. So it was still fun, but still that's a long night yeah. you know yeah. and you know what that five hours was one song yeah <laughs> yeah i mean it was, you're totally right it was just yeah. like on and on so i mean you know so that was that was always the, the the fun things but some of those things yeah but i've never i did i made my kids go to see pink floyd i've made my kids go see different things saying mm-hmm. someday you'll remember this you know mm-hmm. or you know or Coldplay or things like that but uh as a rule I never, I never got to see Freddie at all. And I, mm. I had times to do it, but you know, you never expect him to pass away. And Correct. He's yeah. always going to be there, you know? Mm-hmm. And I don't hesitate now. Once a year, I, I, I would go see Willie, you know, and Willie, we book Willie, but he's a friend. And yeah, but I'll still just go see him once a year, just because I don't know how long that's going to last. Right. You know, do you, do you have any uh, good, good memories, good, experiences i'm sure you do of taylor swift oh yes i have a ton of taylor swift i i'll tell you the one thing is that um remember she had a big song called tim mcgraw Mm -hmm. and i said to taylor and to tim now tim for a while was like why is she singing about me i'm not old enough but i said well the age difference of you and george george jones is the same as taylor and tim mcgraw and he's one of your and he's one of your idols okay so in the meantime, but I told Taylor, you will never see Tim McGraw and meet Tim McGraw until you sing to him on television. 
And we and the first time she met Tim McGraw, she sang Tim McGraw on the ACM show. She walked down, remember, and sang mm-hmm. Tim McGraw mm-hmm. to Tim and Faith. I, I wanted it to be a big moment. And I knew that would be a television moment because mm-hmm. that song was going up the charts and Tim's a big star. So at that point, um, that was one I remember. The other one I sat down and I talked to um, Irv Woolsey and Taylor was 16 years old. And how do you make a huge statement on a 16-year-old? Because 16-year-olds, remember, in country music, sorry, guys, in country music cannot, um, my motorcycle ring, I'm sorry. I'm a big biker. I, uh, oh, like we but don't me, know that. Yeah. So anyway, so we'll get there. We'll get there. So, so anyway, so that one, I, Irv Woolsey, how do you make a statement? You make a statement when you got a 16-year-old. They're not allowed to sing about beer drinking and lovemaking and da 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 so I have Taylor Swift open up for George Strait. The youngest kid opened up for the king of country. Mm-hmm. Huge statement. So oh, that she was so nervous. Oh, she was. She oh, was. Yeah. So then, then, then we take that another step. Another year later, now she's 17 years old. And Kenny Chesney wants her. She's getting hotter and hotter and hotter. Wants her on the tour. So we booked the tour. Comes back that Corona is his sponsor, Corona says, you can't have <laughs> a mm-hmm. minor on your tour. <laughs> yeah. So we had to get her off that tour and she went and found another tour that year. But that was, you know, some of those moments of, again, but I'm going to say this, Kenny Chesney gave her a check for a hundred thousand dollars and I'm so sorry you can't be on my tour. Mm. He said, oh, no, no, no. Some of these, some of these stories are so behind the scene that you just oh, people yeah. don't know about them. But that was just a an incredible moment, also, mm-hmm. and you know, and, and just there's just a lot of things like that that go on that never get you know get written about. And the one thing about Taylor, um, Taylor's does so much, so many things about kids. It stops at children's hospitals and da 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 da. That no one ever knows how much she does for that. And mm-hmm. daily, daily, she also has a big thing. She handwrites uh, every note to radio guys. So on your birthday, I still get a handwritten note from Taylor and say happy birthday. And she handwrites. Everybody has handwritten notes from Taylor Swift. Nice. Now, Bruce, were you there when the year that we had her at the fair, I had her at the fair convention? No. You, I, okay. Cause I don't think so. Dinner, we used to do our dinners and I had a one dinner one night with half the people then Stan would have a dinner, another dinner. Mm-hmm. And Taylor Swift, when she was just starting out, was at those dinners. I was introducing Taylor Swift to all the buyers. Hmm. And I remember uh, the kids from Paso Robles and Ron Pateras and some all sitting. I remember sitting at the table with Taylor Swift, you know, mm-hmm. and nobody knew it. We had, you're introducing her to all you guys as buyers. Yeah. yeah. And I remember, I remember those dinners and, you know, I'm trying to <laughs> think back. I would have remembered if I met Taylor Swift at one of those. I've met a lot of other great artists, mm-hmm. um, you know, like Dan and Shay and, you know, Drake yeah. White and Runaway June and mm-hmm. a lot of them that were at those dinners. But I do not remember Taylor Swift, unfortunately. Tell us a good uh, one of your good fair stories, because you've booked just hundreds and hundreds of fair acts. Do you oh, have I any booked- good... Oh, I, I, I booked some good fair stories. The one, um, let's see, I got to think, go back. 
you know, it's really changed now, but in the old days when you had Sonny Simmons and Hat Peoples and everything, I do remember uh, one on George, I got a call and I think it was from Tim, Tim McGraw's people saying, I said, you know, how was everything? He said, oh, the show was great, the catering ride. I said, what do you mean the catering? He said, it was box lunches. <laughs> and I said, oh, we're supposed to have hot meals. I said, it wasn't hot. And they said, okay, then. So I, I remember calling and talking to Todd. I mean, I talked to George and Phyllis and said, you guys got to up your game. Oh, 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 Rod, next year, we'll, we'll, we'll take care of it next year. We'll, we understand that. That's just a lot of money. We have to get our fares used to spending that money. And I went, okay, great. But I said, we're moving into these things. But at when I first started, this is uh, in 1993 at CAA. CAA never returned a phone call to a fair. Hmm. Never. Hmm. In those days, you had the 15 huge promoters. So every promoter had a territory. And all, every, all they did was tour their acts. So when I got there, it was like me being in a candy store with the clients that they had for the varieties and for Bob Romeo's and the dot. And so I, they're now allowed to buy all these big clients because the agents there didn't want to deal with one-off fairs and festivals, and that kind of stuff. So anyway, that's, that was really a base of why they brought me over was to deal with the fairs and festivals mm -hmm. and understand where they were coming from. Cause you saw the value in it then, right? Oh, I mean, did I they totally not just did. see the value in that? They, they, it, they didn't, again, it's New York and LA. They're a different breed. It was too much work for them to, to talk and sure. figure out where Fargo, North Dakota is. You know, if it didn't have a big building or something like that, they were not going to deal with it. And they only want to talk to someone and give them shit if, they, if it wasn't right. I saw how important Ames, Iowa was, or how important Des Moines, Iowa was, or how important, you know, the New York State Fairs and, the, and all these fairs, because otherwise these big acts would never go there. Mm -hmm. you know it's and so and in those days the only thing it to this day in wyoming the only thing to do in a big arena is the cheyenne frontier days it's twenty two thousand seats the biggest arena in wyoming is six thousand seats mm. so they so but it's too close to denver so they're just bypassed all the time mm -hmm. well their rundown this year's got garth brooks and everything because it's twenty two thousand seats so it's okay. so the there's a lot of fairs that are the same way. They're in a market, Paso Robles. There is, you're three hours from San Francisco and three hours from LA. And there's a whole bunch of people that don't want to drive to those markets. So you know something? And they pay up to a million dollars a show in a market that's 35,000 people. Wow. That's crazy. Speaking of fairs, because those are usually the places that you get the most interesting situations. Can you share with us uh, maybe one or two meet and greet, either great experience or just what the F is going on here with this guy? John Cougar Mellencamp played one fair in his one event and he played the Cheyenne Frontier Days. And he and I said in the contract and again, his manager said, Rod, you must be at that event. John's never played it. And Randy's from New York. Randy shows up in 300 pair of $300 pair of tennis shoes, white tennis shoes. Okay. Oh, Whoops. White tennis shoes. <laughs> That's a mistake. Yeah. And he gets out of the car and he goes, what's the smell? And I said, it's shit. What do you expect? 
<laughs> this is the this is the rodeo. You know, he goes, oh, John, John's going to be so upset. I said, Randy, John has cattle. He's in Indiana on a farm. He understands. I said, my dad used to call it honey, you know, <laughs> fertilizer was the best thing out of the plot in the field, you know? So in the meantime, um, so John shows up and I said, he's got to do a meet and greet. He's got to get his, got to get his belt, belt buckle, you know, they all give belt buckles. Yep. And I, and I said, all it's going to be is just the board. And I, at that point, the governor was there and someone else. So then he gave him his belt buckle. And afterwards, he goes, oh, my God, what was what? Who was I meeting? You know, and I said, well, you got to meet the board. They're paying you. And yeah. they paid you a lot of money yeah. and everything like that. But he he was just going, OK, I'm not doing it again. He's never done the fair since then. He didn't like it. He, he loved the crowd. He didn't like all the stuff around it. And <laughs> he would rather go play small arenas and be done with it than play fairs. Mm-hmm. But again, I was nervous because. There are clients, and you guys know, that are easy, and there's clients that are difficult. And so anyway, when you get a difficult one, the day is not pleasant. We know that. And you just kind of avoid booking them again on those things. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Because I remember when we had an experience with John Cougar Mellencamp, you couldn't look at them. It was like, if you look at them you're looking at Medusa and you're going to turn to stone. Mm-hmm. Well, this is my really fun one is I booked three. I booked the Houston rodeo show, Paso Robles and uh, Cheyenne on Cardi B three years mm-hmm. to three years ago. Hot. She's hotter than ever. And I went to every single board and said, understand if you're going to be offended, don't come tonight. There is not a G show. This was in Houston. I said, you got 75,000 tickets sold. Every one of the kids there have got her record and know every single word. Mm-hmm. Now, in turn, I said, so if you're going to be offended, don't come to the show tonight. Mm-hmm. So then I went around and I also luckily, I said, okay, she's foul, pretty foul. And I said, uh, Jason's going, we can't ever swear too much. So I said, well, so try and stop that. So I went and paid the sound engineer. Now, I've never been to Houston. Houston's in the middle of the stadium. And there's probably 100 yards of nothing, just dirt, because they don't allow anybody in the dirt. And then all then there's 75,000 people in the stadium. So anyway, I said, every time, you know the show, and he said, yeah, I said, every time you know she's going to say the F word or something like that, turn it down. Keep her monitors up, because no one hears the monitors. But just crank it down. So he did. I gave him five hundred dollars. So he did that, and then we had signs all over the state saying you can't say this, you can't say that. Well, she did say the f word twelve times. They counted it and told me about it. <laughs> well, that's but not too looked, bad for a whole bad. show. It's not bad. But they looked the other way, and in Pasarovas, they did the same thing. The only complaint we got was from people that were not in the show that could hear the grandstand. Oh, yeah, out in the carnival area, a couple of ladies could complain. But again, everybody sold out. So they did. Everybody made money, so they had to keep their mouth shut. You know, but I mean, mm-hmm. I just remember that with wonderful fairs, you know, that it's got to be a G show. And I said, hold it, you bought them to be who they are. Mm-hmm. You, didn't, you don't have the right to tell them what to play on stage. And I said, and I tell everybody, once they walk on stage, I am out of control. I have no control of anything on there. Because I remember Kid Rock, again at the Houston show, 
they said, you can't say the F word. So he didn't. He told the audience that he was not allowed to say the F word. So every time he raised his hand, they could yell it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. And he kept raising his hand all night long. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. I like that. Uh, That's you know, that was funny. You got a complaint from some women in the midway about the F-bomb. Really? No F-bombs in the midway are ever said? Right. Right. <laughs> like, right. You know, uh, it's just, it's just, well, you guys go through that all the time. So I know you go through it. It's just a matter yes. that, you know, it, it, it's hard. But that's that's the kind of things. But again... I, I, as a rule, don't have anybody that doesn't love to be at the fairs. I put the chain smokers in fairs and they love it. They just go, you know, they go, we've never played a fair until a couple of years ago. And they love playing the fairs now. And they mm -hmm. do meet and greets. And they, in fact, they'll end up in the afternoon going to the local hospital and seeing kids, you know, nice. just stuff like that. And they said, that's something that they really love about us is that we put them in all the situations. Mm-hmm. Nice. Um, well, I wanted to talk to you about your love for riding motorcycles. Oh. So okay, so Harley Davidson or Indian? Which one do you I'm, like? I, you really have spoiled. both, right? I'm really spoiled. I have two Harleys and one Indian. And which do you like better? Today, I like my Indian. <laughs> I got my new one yesterday. It has ten miles on it in my garage. Nice. Yeah. I. The problem is, there's, there's a guy here in town called uh, that that owns the Indian and the Harley store. And so anyway, he's my best friend. So that's a good thing and a bad thing. Right. So I'm, I'm really spoiled. My car, my cars, I'm not a handy at all. So when I go down, all I want things to do is go to turn the key and it says go and that's it. So in the meantime, I don't, I told Ricky, I don't even want to change the oil, change the tires. So both my bikes, Nori, I hand in with about 3000 miles on them. And I get a new one and I've never done change the oil or do it. Now I do have a, uh, a 2003 Harley Davidson that is um, the hundredth anniversary that was given to me by Willie G. Davidson. Mm. And for years I represented John K. and Steppenwolf. So born to be wild was like, and then from them, Willie G now is, I want to say he's 86 years old, but Bill and Karen, the whole family are all friends of mine, but he signed that and sent it to me. So I, it's, it's got like, probably 10,000 miles on it. That one I keep, I'll never, I'll never change that over. I ride it a couple, maybe a thousand miles a year and, and get it tuned up every year. But, but that is my yoga. That, that has been my sanity during this whole year. Mm. I mean, normally I'm on the road so much. I'll put maybe 1,800, 2,000 miles on each of them. This year, my Indian had 4,300 miles on and my Harley had 27. So every afternoon in the summertime, when you're on the phone going nowhere, I just get on my bike and go ride and yourself, you know, you're by yourself and no one's around you. And so it was just my saving grace. So I'm, I, I agree with you. I I'll jump in and I have a 97 mm -hmm. Dyna convertible and it definitely is my Zen because mm -hmm. when I do ride it, yeah. I, you know, it, it kind of takes you away from everything. And I do have two great, and that was going to be probably our question to you is with any of your acts, um, have you ever had a great experience with them, with your motorcycle? Because I have two instances. I'm going to just say real quick, because we want to listen uh, to what you have to say. But 
One experience was when I worked for a record label here in Milwaukee, uh, one of our artists was Tony Levin, who was bass player for Peter Gabriel. And he rode his soft tail from New York to Milwaukee. And we went to the 95th anniversary here in Milwaukee together. Now, now going anywhere with Tony Levin is like you're going somewhere with mm -hmm. Jesus Christ himself. <laughs> My second one was when I booked a promo tour with Craig Chiquiso, guitar player for Jefferson Starship. I flew out to San Francisco and he told me to meet him at Golden Gate Harley-Davidson. He rented a couple bikes and he took me around San Francisco like nobody would before showing me Oh, this is the house we recorded Red Octopus. This is where Grace Slick crashed her Aston Martin. It was a great experience, both of those, and I will never forget them. And they were on Harley mm -hmm. Davidson's. Well, Bruce, I remember being at Marcus Amphitheater mm -hmm. in Milwaukee. Whenever I come to Milwaukee, my friends still, I, I stay at the Fister, and my friends still make sure there's a motorcycle there for me. So they drop it off. So I've got that. And I love the Fister. I mean, mm -hmm. all the Hotsi Totsi mm -hmm. hotels there. I still love the Fister. And, it's haunted, um, you know. It's haunted. I know. I love that. <laughs> and and my and my the bartender just just retired last year from downstairs, and she'd make the greatest greatest uh, Bloody Marys in the morning. I mean, you know. And so, but in the meantime, you know, and Babish always wants me to stay in that new hotel down in the new area, whatever it is. The Iron Horse. The Iron oh, Horse. That's yeah. it. Is that, that Iron Horse? Cool. Yeah. And I go, no, no. No, no, I want the oh, other one. Mister. I walk out, walk down. So in the meantime, we were backstage and I had my bike and Harley brought a couple things and Bill came down. It was Bill Davidson and he and I, Keith Urban uh, and Chuck, his tour manager, we took off and went riding. And Keith used to carry two bikes on, on the road all the time because he put a helmet on. Nobody knew who he was. Mm -hmm. So you're not stuck behind stage. Yeah. And I remember we took off and went up by the lake and took and we stopped at lunch. And we walked in this place to have lunch. It's a little place, just a little diner thing. And we walked in there and I think there was probably four people. And by the time we left, there was probably 40 people in there. They mm -hmm. recognized Keith Urban, you know, and it was just that. Not was a, you? No, hey, it's not, Ron Essig. Not even, not even Bill Davidson. <laughs> not even wow. Bill. Well, it, you is, know? Keith, it is Keith and Urban. Bill, I don't know if you know, Bill Davidson only rides a road game. Hmm. Doesn't ride anything else but a road game. So that one... You know, and then uh, there was years that Tim would carry 12 bikes, you know, a whole semi motorcycles on the road for the band and everybody else. So we go out and just, you know, I'd go in and fly in and we we do rides and I go to Sturgis. Uh, I didn't go last year, but pretty much before that, I'd go for almost 15 years. And I'm again, back to really being spoiled. I go out, I fly out first class. Somebody picks you up the airport. I go to the demo fleet on either Harley or Indian, get a bike stay up in, in Deadwood, see my clients for two or three days, ride during the days, and then fly home. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I didn't want to, riding across North and South Dakota to me, it's like, I might as well go across my kitchen floor because it's so <laughs> Right, yeah. You know, mm -hmm. and I, I just went, I'm not, I'm not going to ride that long to do a ride. It's not that important to me, but I do love going out there. And I've got ZZ Top there this year. I got, I got a lot of people back. I do a lot of stuff with, well, and that one with Brad Coombs and then mm -hmm. with Woody, you know, at, at Buffalo Chip. Mm -hmm. So we have pretty much the majority. In fact, last year, I still had four acts on, on it when no one was supposed to go. I had, you know, a bunch of the small acts were all playing it last year. 
Well, mm-hmm. since we're talking about Sturgis and Rod Essig and how spoiled he is, do you have a good debauchery story at Sturgis? I'm sure you do. Yes, I do. <laughs> yes. The first year, the first year I went, Woody's saying, you know, there's a there's a bike parade at six o'clock. And I went and I said, I gotta, I gotta be over there for the bike parade. I go to the bike, I show up, go to the bike parade. There is nothing but naked people on motorcycles. That's the whole parade. And I hate naked to say, parade. pardon? A naked parade. Naked parade. They're just riding in a circle, all naked. And at that point, I think a lot of the women should have put their teeth back in before they show their breasts. <laughs> you know, in the meantime, I learned not to ever go to the bike parade again. And then, then that also one year I was there and in not the days of the, of the iPhones, when they had the little, the little cameras that you, you know, you take X amount yeah. or something. Well, unbeknownst to me, Brad, grabbed the coons and took a whole bunch of pictures of all the girls on top of oh of course guys shoulders mm-hmm. i never thought anything about it i gave it to my wife said send this in <laughs> naked pictures of you know that she gets back and she's oh i guess you really did have a good time <laughs> oh my god so that ha- i just have one question um okay so naked parade on harley's yes that engine gets pretty warm yes it does it's I'm, I will tell you though, the plus of Sturgis two years ago, the age group. Now I think I've gotten much older, but the age group seems to have gotten much younger. Oh, <laughs> Ooh, that's good. You know, that's a relief. <laughs> Thank goodness. We, I know if it, there's a thing called the, the um, full throttle saloon. Mm-hmm. Have, you, have you ever gone to Sturgis? Not yet. It's a it's a huge like you're in Quonset building. That's what it is. Yeah. And you can hold 15, 16,000 people. But to park, you have to drive through the bar. You have to drive through the building. Hmm. So there's people drinking on both sides and the bikes are going back and forth in, in, on the bikes. It is an open Quonset. It's only open during the, the rally. That's all it's open. I'm telling you, it looks like everything they ever bought to decorate it was from a junkyard. I mean, it's mm-hmm. old buses mm-hmm. and you know all that kind of stuff just sitting out there that has a bar on it. Da, 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 da. Well, anyway, um, that one that one has the bartenders are all women with pasties and g-strings. Well, anyway, the That's one horrible. year, no, hold it, I, the one year. This is crazy. <laughs> so we are drinking there, and no, and we are drinking at the bar. And, the, and anyway, the, the one girl said. Uh, she said, so when I, I, I do this for the two weeks every year, and that's and I, I, I go back and I'm, I live in Nashville. And so I gave her my car and I said, if you ever want a job, well, she worked for, she still works for me. Oh, and, awesome. still, Great. and, and your love, she still takes the two weeks off a year because she makes between $2,500 and $3,000 a day. Dang. Oh, no. There, Where there was that go. gig when I was in college? You can oh, no. do the, it. <laughs> the majority and the majority and majority of, of the, the, the people that they get are mainly just college kids from you know from Florida or whatever. They know someone, 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 but right. they make a ton of money. It's just you just basically throw your money on them, they give you some drink, and that's it. That's I mean, it's not hmm. you know, but that I remember the, and it burned down about five years ago, and the guy just put another Quonset building up and, and went to another junkyard and bought all this stuff. <laughs> I mean, the bars, the, the bar are two by six, that's all they are. 
there's people that go see the giant ball of string. Yeah, so, right. I mean, right. you know, so a bar that's just a a hood of a car, that's really no big deal. Right. <laughs> it's just it's crazy. It's 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 a it's a it's a I always feel sorry for the people that take their family vacation to go see the faces mm-hmm. that week. Yeah, because it's six hundred thousand bikers. Yeah. Yeah. My dad I goes mean, religiously every year. My dad takes his Harley out and goes every year. And yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's my fishing trip. I yeah. I mean, I go with my same three or four guys and we just go and, you know, and luckily, you know, uh, Mark Oswald owns a hotel out there. Uh, and so anyway, we stay at his place up in Deadwood. I love Deadwood and it's got good food. And we we ride the same rides every year. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Once and the year. naked parade <laughs> no i gave that up i gave that up no 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 okay. we, we don't show up now until nine o'clock because the show first show goes on at 9 30 i get i once one time in my life that was enough you know we don't do that but still it's uh i i just love looking at all the bikes i think yeah. the bikes are just kind of mm-hmm. you know what people i'm i'm a biker i'm a yuppie biker so are you bruce you're mm-hmm. i'm not yep these there's people that just their whole life is ride the bike yeah, yeah, I'm fair weather biker. Yeah. yeah, I don't ride if it's sixty degrees and colder. I don't ride if it's raining. I don't ride if you know. I mean, I'm just, I love it, and I can't say that I. I down here, there's a couple of really biker bars. Mm-hmm. I'm so out of place when I walk in those places. I just go, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm much better going to Bricktops with my bike in the parking lot than I'm going to a biker bar. But right. I'm so glad there are people that do that. Mm-hmm. You know. So then being a yuppie biker, have you ever done the tail of the dragon in Tennessee? Yes, I have. Mm-hmm. Oh. Me too. That's it a crazy it one. Great? It's nuts. Oh my God. Well, you know, now they do, they close it down one day a year and let people race. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. So you just go down. But in the meantime, no, I've gone from the pretty ride is here to go to Bristol and then take the Blue Ridge Mountain Parkway and go down to Asheville. Mm-hmm. And then from Asheville, go do the tail of the dragon and end up in Chattanooga and then come home the next day. Oh, so yeah. it's a great four day or three, three nights, four day ride yeah. of just, I mean, Asheville, the Blue Ridge mountain parkway is just magnificent. Mm-hmm. My, I've, uh... done, I've done everything except the Northeast. I've done riding. My, one of my bucket lists was riding from Fort Lauderdale at the Key West and back. There's water on each side. I've done that. We went and did, we did the grand Canyon and did that mm-hmm. whole thing. But again, talk about how yuppie we are. We're, we we ride for two or three days and then we spa for a day and then we <laughs> ride again, you know. And, and then I done. And when you ride for a day, it's only a couple hours. Oh, no, no. We don't do more than 200, <laughs> 200, 250 miles. I mean, that's it. Coming to Milwaukee, though, for the, for the Hardy events, mm. we go from here to St. Louis. That's 420 miles. Mm, and then but, then, but then we stay at the, at the Four Seasons. It's really nice. But then we go to, um, Davenport, Iowa, and stay at, at the riverboat or whatever it is, and then come into Milwaukee. Hmm. Are there like a couple at the top of your list that you remember that you took an artist when they were playing some hole in the wall and you really developed that artist to where they are today? And you're hmm. like really proud of that, that. Well, I can say I signed Leanne Rhymes at 11 years old. And I signed Tim McGraw. Tim Tim McGraw, I signed Joe Diffie and Tim McGraw together. And Tim McGraw has never had another agent, so we're go, we're together 28 years right now. Um, in the in the company, Keith Urban 
uh, has been with us for 26 years. And Martine has been with me for 26 years. So taking her all the way through her, her time. So, and, I, and the one that uh, started way back with Variety Artist was I've been with Olivia Newton-John in and out of her life, when I say you know, for 40 some years. Out of all the acts that you've worked with, do you have a couple that had quirky, goofy, unusual, what the heck kind of rituals that they would do before a show, after a show, during a show? I remember Reba would be talking to you and I and walk out and say, just sing. Same with Martina. Uh, I remember Leanne Rhymes would, would basically get sick always before the show. Hmm. Just get a stomach ache, well, I don't know, I'm not feeling good, da, 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 walk out and just nail it. Hmm. Uh, Tim McGraw is like a thoroughbred. 30 minutes before the show backstage, he is just up and down the halls, up and down the halls. And he used to run four miles and come and take a shower and then go on stage. Wow. But he's, he's just got that adrenaline mm -hmm. going. Mm -hmm. And then he goes out and performs for two hours. You know, um, quirkiness, it's just, they're all different. You know, they're, I mean, Hart, Anna and Nancy, I've been with them 20 years. Anna and Nancy have, um, they start at five o'clock into this vibey thing, putting their makeup on and eating dinner and talking. And no one that's sacred time you don't no one you don't go in you don't do anything and they walk on stage at you know 9 15 9 30 and just do a two-hour show okay great yeah this Except was great I am, oh. i'm gonna say i'm sad that you're not wearing your tiger embroidered uh gucci tie because last time i saw you in nashville i was like oh my gosh what kind of tie is that <laughs> You were like, well, this is my fancy tiger embroidered tie. This so. is my, this is, this is a gift from my wife. So I wouldn't, wouldn't figure out how much it cost. Yeah. Uh, well, next yeah. time, next time, this fall, when I see you in Nashville, I have a new one. Oh, she gave okay. me a new one. Don't I tell have, me. I have, I have two Gucci's now. Okay. But in the meantime, you know something guys, this is the first time I've had a, a collared shirt on oh. for a long time. So I'm changing it. You know, I, I get actually put a collar on. So bottom line is, you know, I still got shorts on and, and that kind of stuff. So yeah. we're not, we're not going to open the office right now until at least July, but more than likely August. Yeah. You don't have to put a collar on for us. Yeah. I didn't know. You could I have your, know. you could, you could keep your Harley Davidson lounge pants on yeah. and your t-shirt <laughs> live to ride and yeah. the whole thing for us. Well, I went and made up, I wouldn't made up, I, you know, again, with all the swag, my next two note doors down for me. He, he makes swag and shirts. So he made me Essex on tour an Indian emblem under. So I have, I always wear really bright neon shirts because mm -hmm. I figured I want people to see me. See me. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. And so I always wear them. So anyway, he made me t-shirts up that says Essex on tour Indian, you know, <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. I like that. And so anyway, I walk into the Indian dealer and I said, don't shoot me. I mean, I don't have this trademarked, but you know, that's funny. <laughs> Well, hey, yeah. Rod, you know, I appreciate your time. Mm -hmm. Justine and I loved having you on our on our oh, podcast. Good. Good and luck. I hope it I hope it comes out with what you wanted. That's all. Well, you guys are easy to talk to. So thank you. Well, thank, thank you, you, Rod. Appreciate it. And we'll okay. see you soon. You're gonna you, go riding I, today? Is it nice? I am. It's right now it's 74 degrees out. Oh, oh shit. Oh no, it's been, yesterday was 78. 
It was great. Yeah. And Sunday's going to be like 76. So I'm probably for sure oh. Sunday. Yeah, here it's 38. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Cold you're not, yeah, you're not, yeah, it's cold. Yeah. So. I remember those days from Minnesota. <laughs> yeah. All right, Rod. Thank you very Take much care. for your time. You. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us backstage and visit Justine and I at varietyattractions.com. Get your backstage pass and subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Which way is catering with Justine and Bruce? Served up by Variety Attractions. Celebrating 60 years of entertainment excellence. Find out how you can take advantage of their expertise in consulting, talent buying, production, and marketing services for your next event at varietyattractions.com.